It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. is the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. And each week, we look at sports topics of local interest, some national sports topics. We have a gambling segment and the favorite segment of the show where you can ask me a question on anything. I do mean anything. It's the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything on Twitter. We've got a handful of those questions this week as we normally do. All right, Rick, um, we are kind of in that transitional phase of end of Bengals season. Uh, March Madness isn't quite upon us yet. We do have NFL playoffs that we'll talk about a little bit later on in the gambling segment. But we do have some college basketball to discuss, and hopefully at some point, We'll have some Reds offseason news to discuss, but on this podcast, we have no Reds news to discuss. It's kind of my favorite sports time of the year. I know for everyone else, they feel like it's hitting a lull right now, but for me, this is when everyone really starts to hone in and focus on college basketball for the first time. Yeah, of the year. Yes, so I really like I, it. I, I would say that except for the fact that I swear every night when I try to figure out who's playing, I don't know who's playing and who is playing and what's playing. And um, it doesn't feel like it has a great flow to it. Cause I mean, back in the day, I can remember it used to be, you'd have that big Monday, right? And then they, they had, the, they would have the super Tuesday with the sec and the big 10. And, and I knew where to find, you know, back then the a 10 games and, and certainly big East games um, at times. Now games are all over the map and I don't know if a team's playing. I mean, like Louisville played last night and they're not playing Saturday because of Georgia tech and Kentucky missed a game last week it just feels like it doesn't have any flow to it this year I think that's exactly right but it also kind of makes it fun that on like any given day I'll, I'll look at you know the the um, sports books lineup for that day and then look at the lines and I'm like oh hell I didn't even know half these games were going on well, so there's that's, that's kind too. of fun it's a little exciting <laughs> yeah, there, there is that there is that too that's for sure all right, well, let's start off with some college basketball talk. Uh, last night, on, we were recording this on Thursday morning, so Wednesday night, Xavier took down St. John 69-61 in a game where the Musketeers didn't hit a single three-pointer and turned the ball over 19 times. Skinny, were you more impressed by the Musketeers finding a way to win with defense and toughness or more concerned about their shooting struggles after the game? I, I got to start to get concerned about the way they're shooting the basketball right now. Um, did I read it right? Did Xavier really have 62 rebounds? Uh, I believe it was 52. I'll check real quick. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to say 52 is still a lot. 62 seems colossal in today's day and age. I knew I read a giant number. That's all I know. And, it, and I, I actually, we, we had a high school game last night that I, I coached in and then we went to, to have a, a quick beer and I watched the second half of that game and we had the sound down and I swear every time I looked up, neither team could make a shot in that game. They had 57 oh, I, rebounds. 57 rebounds. Holy Toledo. That's, that's incredible. Jason Carter had what? 16 of those. Yeah. Um, 16 yeah, offensive I, I, rebounds. I think I am getting concerned about the offense more and more. I, I will give them credit for the toughness. It was a game they had to win. I mean, just had to win. To A, stop the bleeding. B, you can't be losing to St. I mean, truth be told, you've got to win at least five or six against St. John's, DePaul, and um, and Georgetown. Maybe even sweep them. And then, you know, kind of, you know, win one of those games against the Nova, Creighton-ish, and then kind of, you know, go 500 against the rest. That gets you 12 well, and 8-ish in the league. Well, I think Butler's worse than St. John's right now. And, and they might be. And so yeah. and so we might be maybe 7 of 8 against the Butler, St. John's, DePaul, Georgetown group. And, and if, if so, that's good. But th- those are games you, you – and especially at home, you can't lose that game. So I think it did take a little toughness and a little mental toughness to, to, to get through that. When you're not making shots, everything looks ugly. I mean, everything about your game looks ugly. You could execute your offense to perfection, and if you don't make the open shot – you know, that, that, that came off of that, you look ugly. You look like you're not executing. Um, but I am worried that, 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 that for whatever reason, you got guys who are supposed to be good shooters, not making shots. And I can tell you that's a slump, but this is, seems like it's been ongoing here the last two, 
plus weeks. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think it's a little of both. And you're running into that weird thing that we were talking about before with the scheduling. Like, you know, the first few weeks of the season, they play all those games. They play eight games in like 10 days and whatever it was, you know, it felt like it was crazy. And then all of a sudden they've only played three games in the last month uh, because of some cancellations, postponements, what have you. So there is a little bit of that going on. I think that's a factor, but a lot of teams are dealing with that. Skinny, you've watched him a lot. Adam Kunkel, who is a good shooter, he got all, all three of his looks last night were good ones. He airballed two of them. Do you? I mean, do you I think know. he's ever done that in a game before? No, and, and, and I, I, that's what I do wonder. Is it just hard for players to get into a rhythm? Now, it's not like Xavier has completely stopped started here of late. They've stopped a little bit and right. restarted, but um, you know, it hasn't been huge gaps in the, in the schedule. No, and they've been um, it's funny. It, it, Right. It feels like that team is like six and five at the moment instead of nine and two. I don't know why it feels that way. It just does. Um, but yeah. And I think the other part too, is, you know, when Fremantle got the, the two early fouls and, and he has to sit, there's a major offensive guy you're playing through. And, and that, that I think is in because then there go the easy buckets, there go the post post up buckets. So yeah, I, I, I have no explanation for it because I do think some of these guys missing shots are still good shooters. Yeah. That's the thing. I think the, the problem becomes twofold. One, they need Zach Fremantle and Paul Scruggs to be their best players on offense. And for like three games in a row now, those two guys just haven't really had it. Zach played well in the second half of the Seton Hall game, but it, they were already kind of out of it and they were really just trading baskets back and forth. So I don't really give a whole lot of credence to that, especially since he came right back out against St. John's and struggled again. He's clearly in a slump. He's just not himself. I asked Travis about it after the game. He shrugged it off, said he's not worried about him at all. Didn't seem to think there was anything wrong with him. So, you know, that is what it is. They just need those two guys to be better. And that helps open up a lot of other things. But at the same time, like it's hard to figure out, like I said, the Kunkel thing, he gets three wide open looks, air balls, two of the three. Um, The third one wasn't really that close either. There's other guys getting good looks. You know, obviously, I think um, Nate Johnson was due for a recession after the way he started the season. I mean, you shoot yeah, 60% probably, yeah. from three for five or six games. You're obviously going to get cold a little bit. So that's somewhat understandable. Um, and he he can be a little bit limited, you know, if he's not making shots for you. So, you know, Tandy has just not been the player that they expected him to be coming into this year. They're having trouble playing him. He didn't get any minutes in the second half of this one. So, I think and how much con- and how much of that is 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 him maybe in in pout mode to some degree. Well, Other people come in, your minutes get cut back, you're not a big part of the rotation. Woe is me. Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of that, and whether that is the case or not, he doesn't do himself any favors with like the body language stuff, which he's never been great at. You know, his expression no. never really changes. Exactly. But there's stuff like he's sitting over by himself on the bench at the top row, facing his hands not getting up with his teammates when th- there's a big run going on. They're on a 19 to one run or whatever it was last night. And he's just not part of that at all. It's kind of weird. Uh, so obviously, I mean, if you're a fan at this point, you have to be wondering what's what's going through his mind and what he's considering right now. But I think the biggest thing for him is last year, this team needed a shooter, a scorer at all costs. And this year they're not really in that situation anymore. So you have to bring more than just being a, being a threat from the outside and quite honestly, at this point of his career, he doesn't really do anything else well except for he can get hot and score for you. Uh, I just don't know that they can afford to leave him on the court long enough to get to those points with this team because they have other guys who can shoot and aren't 
total liabilities defensively and aren't kind of doing their own thing on the offensive end. So yeah, just stop, stop the woe is me. I mean, you know what, if you don't want to be there, then go ahead and put your name in the transfer portal and be done with it. I mean, I think we can all probably expect him to go after this year anyway. So if that's the case, then just go. I mean, honestly, just go. That could be reading too much into it. You know, I mean, maybe he's working through it and, and he's, you know, this year doesn't really count towards their eligibility, so he'll still have the same amount left after this year, and it won't won't really affect him, and he'll develop into a great score. I think there's still that potential. He's definitely a talented kid, but right now he's just not fitting in. So I think you just kind of have multiple pieces like that where, for whatever reason, something's a little off, and it's adding up to all those supporting cast guys. And we talked about early in the year, we thought with enough of those supporting cast guys – You'll never run into a night like this right, where you just right. can't make them. And now it's three games in a row where you can't shoot. And really, if you look at the totality of their season so far, it's like six of the 11 games. They haven't shot well. Uh, you know, five of them they have. So I don't know exactly where that leaves this team. I guess just kind of inconsistent, which is somewhat what we expected coming into the season. That's why they're picked seventh in the conference. So. Yeah, no, that's that's probably right. And again, like I said, it feels like the sky's falling and you look up and they're nine and two and two and two in the league. Not awful. Yeah, I don't think the sky I don't think the sky's falling at all. Um, I think they're actually playing decently enough. It's just weird that they can't get any shots to go down all of a sudden for three straight games. If they if they were doing that, I think everyone would feel really good about the way they I mean, last night was a major improvement from the Seton Hall game in terms of defense, toughness, rebounding. I mean, St. John's isn't Seton Hall in terms of their size and everything and their the way they, they attack you, but it was still a major improvement in terms of defense, especially. So I think there are a lot of positives. Dwan Odom was great. Colby Jones was great. Jason Carter was great. They just need their offense to get back on track because they're built to win with offense. So, yeah. Next up, Kentucky is on a two-game winning streak after taking down Mississippi State 78-73 and Vanderbilt 77-74. Freshman Dante Allen from Pendleton County High School in Northern Kentucky was the hero in the Mississippi State win as he led the way with 23 points on 7 of 11 shooting from deep. He followed that up with 14 points on Tuesday against Vanderbilt. He played 32 minutes in each game after Cal refused to give him more than a few minutes in any of the Cats' previous games this season. So, Skinny, I asked you, was Cal being too stubborn by not playing Dante Allen sooner? And do you think this is something that the Cats have found and can build off of? Yeah, I, I don't think he was stubborn. I, I don't. I, I think a lot of it is just we don't see practice. We don't know what Dante is not doing on the other end of the floor and just having played against Dante. I mean, he's, he's he was never asked to really defend a ton in high school. He played at the top of a 1-3-1 zone, and that's a big adjustment from, from playing Northern Kentucky high school basketball at the top of a 1-3-1 zone and playing man-to-man at a high level like the SEC. Um, but I also think desperate times call for desperate measure, and I think Cal was so desperate to have anybody that could put the ball in the basket that it was like, Hey, I got to play somebody who can do it. Go, go do it. And um, he paid off in, in, in spades in both games by making some big shots. And, and especially in that Mississippi state game, they, they don't win either, either game without Dante Allen. They, they just don't without his offense. And I think it's one of those that as much as I think every coach starts on the defensive end, when you get minutes, you know, at some point, somebody has got to put that ball through the bucket and put it in the bucket. And, and he can do that. And he did that in droves in high school. And he certainly had proven in the limited time he had before the last two games that he could shoot it a little bit. He just didn't get a lot of minutes. And like I said, when you're desperate, sometimes you just do desperate things. I think that's all this was. And it ended up paying off. And suddenly you look up and, and Cal treats this as they're 2-0. They hit the restart button with the SEC. And look, um, 
I don't think Mississippi State's great. Vandy obviously isn't. And and but when you're one and six, you're not asking, you know, by how much. You're just asking, did you win? And so I think they've got a fresh start off of this and a chance to build some confidence. And and you found a guy that could score for you. That's what they needed. They desperately needed a score. I am shocked to hear you go the coach route with this take. I thought you'd go the anti-cow route. <laughs> For sure. No, I, I, I'm trying to be fair. Um, and, and uh, but, again, uh, but I think you would have been totally right. I, I actually disagree with you on this. I think this is a case where, and it's not just a Cal thing. I think all coaches do this way too much. They get way too infatuated with, I, he's not playing hard enough. He's not playing tough. He's not a great defender. He's not, he's not athletic enough. All these other things that coaches worry about that they're so worried about a guy getting beat off the dribble once in a while that they're willing to sacrifice their entire offense. Just, I mean, their offense was so pathetic through the first eight, nine games of the season, wherever we're at now, that and you wouldn't try by far your best weapon on the offensive end from the perimeter I, I, for an I, extended period. That makes absolutely no sense at all. I, I truly think Rick. I mean, keep in mind too, Terrence Clark didn't play these two games too. So I mean, you're missing that that piece, and he was actually at least some level of an offensive player for them. Um, and so I, I, my, my opinion is I think he really thought he had enough offensive guys out there between Mintz I, I mean, and Askew and Clark and Boston and Saar. And, and obviously he didn't. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, that's an insane thought he, after what we've seen. Yeah, no, obviously he didn't. Um, and that's why I think, you know, with, with no Terrence Clark in the Mississippi State game and nobody else putting the ball, he just I think it was a desperate move that he probably wasn't comfortable to make. And, you know, it, it worked out great. And to the kid's credit. I mean, he's been a high-volume scorer his whole career, um, starting as an eighth grader. The kid could score the basketball with the best of them. Um, so, so you know, kudos to the kid for, for when he got his opportunity taking the most advantage of it. And um, Cal is probably going to have to live with defensive deficiencies because now you can't take him out of the lineup unless he's, you know, you know, bricking two of 15 in the game. you got to let him keep, keep scoring because nobody else shoots the ball on that team like he does. Not, not, even clo- not, even, not even close to what he does. Yeah, and by the way, I don't know that Dante Allen is like some cure-all. In fact, I know he's not for this UK team. Certainly he, not. But, a but I see. I think. He, I think he. Is, I think he is to some degree, Rick, because I do think he is a consistent double-figure scorer. I think that that to me is a gift. He is honestly a fifteen mm. to eighteen point per game scorer, in my opinion. Ooh, it's just I don't a know matter of can, can he do anything else. Yeah, I think it's going to come and go for him big time. I don't know that he can get you 15 a game consistently. I, you know, I do think he, he can be streaky and get, give you those uh, games where he hits da- three with, threes. I, I, he will not hit seven threes in a game again this year. Yeah, but with, I, I with mean, all the downhill stuff Terrence long. Clark can give you and defense is having to honor that, I, I think he's going to find himself with a lot of wide open kickouts. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. He's definitely going to get plenty of looks. Now, that being said, if he continues to shoot at any type of clip, defenses are just going to run out at him like crazy. Well, I mean, and there's that too. That's, the that's, that's the next adjustment, right? The sure. only guy you have to really worry about doing that too. That's so, right. Again, Maybe I don't, mince, but yeah. I don't know that he's quite ready to be like this go-to scorer for Kentucky right now as a freshman, but I do think Cal waited way too long. I mean, even if you're saying, okay, it was a desperation move that he only did because Terrence Clark was out, that's still an issue to me. Like I would have gotten to that quote-unquote desperation move long before this point because of the issues you were having offensively, your defense as good as it can be. And they are damn good defensively at times. It, it wasn't good enough to win you games with no offense. So, I mean, I would have tried to get Dante Allen in there and hide him as much as you can defensively before this Mississippi state game where he blow up. Now you're in this really tough position. If you're Cal, because the fans were clamoring for it nonstop play Dante, play the Kentucky kid, play the local guy, play the shooter. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. Now you do it for 32 minutes in that first game and he blows up. You can't take him back out at all. I mean, he has to play 25 minutes a game basically at this point, or you look dumb. 
I think if he was playing a reasonable amount of minutes the whole time, it would be much easier to just gradually bring him in and out of the lineup when he's hot or when he's not. And, and at this point, I think you have to just roll with him. Oh, I think you absolutely have to roll with him. I mean, unless he shoots his way out of the lineup, you absolutely have to roll with him. All right, let's switch gears to Cincinnati, which lost another game over the weekend to stretch the Bearcats' losing streak to five straight. Even more notable was some roster changes for the Bearcats. Colgate grad transfer Rapalus Ivanowskis decided to opt out and leaves the team, as did freshman wing Gabe Madsen. Meanwhile, junior big man Mamadou Diara, who had left the team just a few weeks ago, decided he was opting back in. So, Skinny, I guess my question is, are you concerned by all the roster changes going on at UC in the middle of the year? It makes it look ugly based on the record, but not really. I mean, I, I think we had come to the conclusion Ivanowskis probably wasn't a great fit, um, you know, and, and Diara maybe it was a personal thing where he, you know, he opted out and then with the way the roster shook down, decided, well, um, you know, and I'm sure John went back to him and said, listen, we got a spot if you want it and, and came back. I, I think the, the the bigger issue isn't isn't the roster flux. It's the fact that they just cannot shoot the basketball at all. I mean, it, this is one of the worst shooting teams um, in college basketball, shooting 42% overall, 26-ish percent on threes. And we're not talking over a two-game sample size now. We're talking about over eight. Um, that's a in a normal season. That's over a, a quarter of your season. That's that's probably, that's a third of your season basically. Um, and at that point, you've kind of established what you are. I, well, do I think they can shoot it a little bit better? Yeah, probably a little bit better. But I mean, who are the shooters on this team? I mean, who, the best shooters, Jer- their best players, Jeremiah Davenport. It Let really that sink is. In from it. it yeah. He's their best player. And I mean, he we were expecting him to be a hustle energy guy like a defensive sub, maybe I didn't, I, I mean, maybe you thought more of that, but I, I did not expect him. To yeah. Be I, 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 you know me, I've, I've, I've always been high on, I've always been high on Jeremiah. I, I always thought he could be a, a big contributor for, for a, a program like a, a UC at a, at a pretty high level, but he can't be your best player. Cause he's not your he's, I mean, he's, he's like, he's a perfect complimentary piece, perfect complimentary piece. Um, and that's what they don't have. They don't have a go-to guy. They don't have a go-to score. They don't have a go-to shooter. They don't have an identity on off. I, I, they're a mess. I mean, John's got a big fix of him uh, ahead of him. And, and um, uh, th- that fix gets shorter, shorter, you know, by, by the loss. I mean, they play as we do this or play an SMU tonight. I don't think that's a, that's, that's not a get right game. Where's a get right game for them. Well, they don't have, I mean, I don't know that there are any right. on the schedule right. for the UC team. Cause they're as bad as anyone in the conference right now because of their just inability to put the ball in the basket at all. I, they just, they have nothing. I mean, Keith Williams is not at all living up to, the preseason expectations that were placed on him. And, and, you know, I, some guys just aren't fit to be a go-to player and it appears Keith is kind of in that situation and it doesn't help that he doesn't have any, anybody around him. Like if he had a shooter or two around him, maybe there would be a few more driving lanes. Maybe he could use his athleticism a little bit more, but uh, he's basically being asked to be the shooter score everything for this offense. He's not equipped to do it. David DeJulius has been, he's had his moments. He's been okay, but he's not giving you enough, especially as an outside threat. And they, they just don't have it. And like you said, skinny, I don't know where John goes from this because uh, the problem with it is, is next year you're still feels like you're in rebuilding mode. Cause you need to find major guys who can play and they'll all be new pieces. Even if they are transfers, even if they're guys with some experience that are eligible to play right away because of the new transfer rules, they are still going to be guys that you're fitting multiple new pieces into a system, and that's never easy. You you have a lot of inconsistency there and a lot of bumps in the road. So that's the biggest concern right now is it looks like you're still looking at a major rebuild down the road, and that's probably why the roster reshuffling right now is a little more concerning too. It's not – like you said, it's not so much that like, 
what was Rappalus Ivanowski is going to give you the rest of the way this year. It's more so just that like, okay, now Gabe Madsen, who was supposed to be your best recruit this year, is in flux. What's his status going forward after this season? Is he on the team or not? Um, and can he even play if he is on the team because he hasn't been getting any minutes really? There's just a lot of question marks there. And uh, the, the rebuild ahead is not going to be easy. No, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a, a longer road than than you could hope for. I think it's going to take a while, and that's it's going to be very difficult. I I, I really believe that you know Tari Eason maybe he's your second best player. And he can't finish a layup. I mean, he does a lot of good things. He's got great energy, and he goes and gets it off the glass and does it, but he can't finish. And Chris Vote has taken a step backwards. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know where they go for answers, Rick. I don't. I mean, yeah, it's going to have to be you know, you're going to have to hit a, a home run or two with probably a transfer in the offseason um, and, and maybe have a high impact recruit that can step in and be ready to play because they they got a lot of bad pieces at the moment. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's switch gears to the Bengals skinny. They wrapped up their season on Sunday with a resounding 38 to three loss to the Ravens. I have a few questions as we head into the offseason, starting with the Bengals' decision to keep Zach Taylor and his three coordinators, Brian Callahan, Lou Anarumo, and special teams coordinator Darren Simmons. The team got rid of most of the rest of the assistants. What do you think of the strategy to get rid of most of the assistants but keep all the main guys in charge? I, I think one of the reasons to keep the main guys is this. Um, I, I, th- I think that and Zach, I asked him point blank. He said, this is his decisions. These are his decisions. So I'm going to hold him that? accountable. I don't, but I Me asked either. him point blank. I asked him, I wanted it on the record, man. That's why I asked the question. Um, so I'm going to take you at the record. So now this is all on you. You're wholly accountable for this, Zach. I think part of it too, is he probably understands he's a lame duck coach who has to win quickly in 2021, or he probably will be gone at some point during the course of the season. And if you have turnover in your coordinators, the problem is, what coordinator who, who's worth his salt or is, is an upgrade is going to come here on a lame duck staff? The answer is nobody. So you dance with what you already got. Um, you know, I look, D- Darren's been a long time successful coach. He's fine. You know, Brian Callahan, it's hard to know how much of the, the fault of the offense falls on him when Zach's the one calling the plays. Um, and I think Lou Anaruma, honestly, I've said it before. I think he's done a pretty good job. I just think he's got devoid of, of talent on that side of the football. Um, so I think there's that. I think from the assistance perspective, Jamal Singleton left on his own to go to Kentucky. In fact, just before we did this podcast, I had to put the story on the web. They just officially announced him as running backs coach. I think that was his decision of I'm not sticking around on a lame duck staff when I can go back to college and, and, and on a, I mean, let's face it, Mark Stoops, and I'm not a huge fan of Mark Stoops, mind you, but I mean, he's about as safe as you can get um, at the moment. So I'm sure Jamal's looking at some job security and um, takes that leap. Uh, the wide receivers thing with Bob McNell, I found interesting, but Bob was, I think at the end of his contract and um, you know, I guess they decided there. Jim Turner was one and none of these are official yet, by the way. I mean, the Bengals have yet to announce any, is actually yet to announce anything on this. The only thing that's been announced uh, was Dan Horde saying that Lou Anaruma was definitively coming back. Um, so that's really the only report. Everything else is a reported uh, out. And I, I think it's safe to say they are, you know, Nick East and Gerald Chapman, that surprised me a little bit. Cause you know, I, I, I can't pin the defensive line deficiencies on him. I mean, I, you've had Geno Atkins take a giant step backwards. Carlos Dunlap stopped playing, and I guess you can point to those guys, but I think I point, I point to the coaches. I think I point to those guys, to be honest with you. Um, and, uh, and and so, yeah, I mean, and, and Jim Turner, obviously offensive line coach. I mean, Zach went to bat for him again on Monday, um, and, and I would have to say, listen, if, if you still think highly of him, why make the change? And that's where the problem here is. With whatever staff turnover there is, and so right now we're talking defensive line coach, running backs coach, wide receivers coach, and offensive line coach. 
Who are you going to get to come here knowing it's a lame duck situation? You're going to get somebody to fill that role, but are you going to get a, a, a higher caliber coach to fill that role? I don't think so. I, 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 I think, you know, I think they're in a quandary. And that's where I think if you go back to all of this, um, because of the, and, and the staff turnover was already starting to trickle out over the weekend before the final game. I think at that point, you just sweep everything out and start fresh because I, I just don't know where you're getting quality coaches to come replace the coaches you're getting rid of, knowing that this guy could be out of a job in five games, six games, eight games in, in 2021. Uh, look, he ain't surviving one in five. I'm just telling you, he's not. It'll be Darren Simmons as the interim coach or Al Golden as the interim coach the rest of the year if that's the case. So, I, I mean, if you're – uh, if you've got a job security somewhere else, are you coming to this staff? And if you don't have job security somewhere, if you're coming off the street, are you a high caliber caliber replacement? That's why it's just a, it continues to be a complete mess the way this organization is run. Well, that, that's my issue with the whole situation. Where is the logic here? What I mean, granted, I don't want Jim Turner on this staff. And I do think you should hold the defensive line coach accountable for the abject disaster that the defensive line was this year, that entire room, whether it be personal relationships and guys, you know, not wanting to play for you, or whether it be the fact that you just couldn't get any pressure on a quarterback injuries, be damned, like figure something out, scheme up a sack. Once a game, do something, make something happen. They were awful all year. I mean, an absolute joke of a position group. So I get why you feel the need to get rid of those guys. Well, two, and I'm two, fine two, with that. Three, three, three weeks ago, he sung the praises of Nick East and Zach Taylor. Well, did. right. But, I mean, Zach Taylor sings the praise of everyone. I mean, he thinks well, I know that. the best thing walking. So right. that means nothing to me, but I just don't get the logic of, like you said, who, who's going to come in and, and coach these guys. And what message does that send to the locker room when you're sitting there and you're saying, Oh no, we believe in the direction. Everything's going great. We're, we're, turning the corner we're gonna get those exactly. wins right at the start of next year but I actually all these guys that were guys teaching you, they sucked they weren't yeah any no good. yeah that's it. i love working with these guys i love coming in and working with these guys every day well well apparently you don't because you're getting rid of some of them and hey, yeah. look when you're when you're 526 and one somebody's going to pay the price for that but this is multiple somebody's and usually the point is it's usually a coordinator but as i go back to it what coordinator's coming in worth his salt that's going to take over in a lame duck staff the answer is nobody yeah, but at least like I could almost see the logic of if you're an up and comer position coach type guy. And and again, it's not going to be like a big time coordinator. I don't That's think the point. But maybe maybe you got a college coordinator or a really good like quarterbacks coach on someone else's staff that you really like. And they get the opportunity to work with Joe Burrow. And, you know, they think they can turn this thing around. They don't think the Bengals are that far off. I could see you maybe convincing an offensive coordinator to take a big time job in the NFL where you can maybe prove yourself for a year and then go somewhere else uh, to get that great opportunity. I don't see anyone that's like, yeah, let me go be the line, the offensive line coach or the defensive line coach for the Bengals under Zach Taylor. That's a legit coach. You know, I mean, there'll be plenty of people willing to take the job, but the other part of the equation, and I don't know this for sure, but I think Luana Rumo was on a three-year contract. And I will tell you this, Mike Brown don't like paying people not to work. Right, right. Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it is what it is in terms of keeping the, the coordinators. I just don't understand the logic of then firing the whole staff. I mean, and that's me, where I go back to. If, if you were going to do that, then, then, then Zach had to go. Zach. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. Which is, that's where I think we should probably be at. But uh, I digress. Uh, I want to ask you about two veterans on the team. A.J. Green is a free agent. Geno Atkins has two years left on a four-year, $65 million deal. What do you think the Bengals do with those two? I mean, AJ's got to be done, right? 
Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Um, uh, he's a free agent. They're not going to franchise him again. Um, uh, that was 18 mil. And for 18 mil, you got, you got the productivity of Alex Erickson. I mean, you really did 40 something catches. That's, that's what Alex Erickson did last year um, in limited, in limited duty. <laughs> so um, no, I, I think there's a team out there that that's probably a playoff caliber team that, that takes a stab at AJ for, a, you know, one year and 10 mil and in incentives. Um, I just don't, I don't see the fit for him here any longer. Uh, I think he knows it. Sees the writing on the wall. A- AJ J- se- second best receiver in Bengals history. Mm, yeah, oh man. We did the Mount Rushmore last week, right? Um, yeah, I guess so. Him and Chad are, 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 are I mean, I, I, I made Carl Pickens my point of last week and I'm, I'm sticking to it as people thought I was crazy, but I, I, Carl, when Carl's best years, Carl was spectacular. I think oh, you must boy. have did that on a different podcast. That wasn't us. Um, uh, I thought I did it on this podcast last week. Maybe we not. didn't talk about Carl Pickens last week, man. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe I talked about it on the angry quarterbacks pie. I talked about yeah, it somewhere. I, I think it might. Um, been. yeah. Um, yeah, I'll go second best wide receiver in Bengals history. Um, as for Gino, look, they can get out from under him for you know a five million dollar cap hit, and if not, he's going to cost fifteen million base salary. You do the math there for me. Um, I, I think you just go ahead and take the cap hit and move on from him. Uh, look, I, I guess uh, I'll take it at the word that the shoulder was the issue this year. He's obviously needs surgery on it. Um, so you're going to take a thirty three year old surgically repaired guy um, at a tough position to play with a bum shoulder and, and a surgically repaired shoulder who's due a lot of money and you just don't know what you're going to get or do you get out from underneath that now the only other thing is if he's hurt you probably have to come to an injury settlement and it'll probably be a little more than the the, the cap hit he's going to walk away with a little bit of cash in his pocket on top of it but yeah I, I think you get out from underneath his contract too i think you have to i mean i just think you got to move forward especially with this defense there's so much rebuilding that needs to be done overall in general i just especially with the way the last two years have gone in terms of disgruntled veterans and holdovers from the marvin era i think you just need to move on completely as much well and and that's where listen i I think i'm in that ilk of i know everybody's wringing their hands about losing penny Sewell. i'm kind of glad that that's off the table probably um i i want them to go sign a proven guard and a proven tackle and probably re-sign either will jackson or or carl lawson and probably try to extend jesse bates and you're gonna have to find ways to save money to do that and this seems like an easy lot two easy logical ways to save you know, save $30 million basically in, in these two guys. I, I think that's an easy thing to do. Just to be clear, I don't want to get into a whole draft discussion, but drafting Panay Soul and spending money on offensive line and free agency are not mutually exclusive. You can do both. They're, they're not, but I, I here's the thing. I think I'm going to go go get my two two veteran offensive linemen, and then I'm going to draft either a wide receiver or, um, you know, if Jamar Chase is there and I can put Jamar Chase with the with the group they have and, and pair him up, back up with Joe Burrow, there's your, there's your top off the defense guy. I, I'm loading up on Joe Burrow's side of the ball as much as I possibly can and just, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to give you every single side solitary weapon i'm going to protect you and, and i rick i'm just i'm in the oak anymore that college offensive linemen don't translate college corners do college edge rushers do college uh wide receivers nowadays can, can step right in and do and and hell even to a large degree high level high draft trip pick college quarterbacks do. college offensive linemen just don't i mean it's it's too big of a crapshoot for me to waste on a, on a fifth overall pick. I'm, I'm going to get guys with proven NFL tape. Um, you know, everybody's all enamored with Penny Sewell. He's the next Anthony Munoz. He didn't even play this year. I mean, give me a break. Uh, you didn't lose much. It, it, look, he may become a 10-year all-pro for all I know. But the track record of college offensive linemen anymore is they just don't translate to the league very well. Um, so I want to get somebody with proven tape. I, 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 say I think they are mutually exclusive, to be honest with you. 
Well, I mean, again, I, I'm fine with the route that you're suggesting as well. If they get a playmaker for Joe Burrow and they get two offensive linemen through free agency that are veterans that can play, I'm all for it. My concern is that this franchise has really struggled to get difference makers through free agency, and especially the idea of them getting two of them no, that's uh, fair. in the same offseason. That concerns me. So I, I would kind of like them to take a chance on a really talented offensive lineman as well, and maybe that's in the second round, whatever. Uh, I just think it's something you have to consider. I don't I don't think I'd be stuck in on drafting an offensive lineman, but it's something to consider. I got one more question for you real quick, though. Bengals owner Mike Brown issued a statement regarding Zach Taylor on Monday. So he said in part, quote, our fans wanted a fresh new direction two years ago, and that is what we aim to do in hiring a bright, energetic head coach in Zach Taylor. We remain bullish on the foundation Zach is building, and we look forward to next year giving our fans the winning results we all want. He goes on to talk about injuries and how next year will be the year. What did you make of Mike's comments, if anything? Uh, A, he didn't write them. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and, and B, I mean, you're going to start with, I mean, essentially pointing the finger. You fans wanted this. Um, they want to change, Mike. They want change from, from, from above the coaching level. And you still continue to not give them that. I, I put a piece up on our website yesterday, Rick. Um, yesterday was the 30th, 30th anniversary. Wednesday, January 6th was the 30th anniversary of the last Bengals playoff win. And I made the analogy in the piece of if you would take it out a 30-year mortgage on a home, which is a standard, you know, some people take out 15, some, you know, refinance along the way. But if you take out a 30-year mortgage on your loan on January 6th, 1991, you would have paid it off yesterday. And in that time frame, which is a long time, that's a, that, you know, when you take out that mortgage, it looks like, it, yeah, it is a great accomplishment. And the Bengals in that time frame that somebody paid off their 30-year mortgage have not won a playoff game. What in that indicates what you are doing organizationally is correct. You know, when I read these comments, the only thing I could think of is the scene that you've set out for us a few times this year post-game, where you've seen Mike walking around aimlessly, Paul Brown Stadium, getting his steps in, and you wonder, what is he thinking? Well, now I feel like we know. He was over there muttering to himself, these fans, I, I could be hanging out with Marvin and Pac-Man Jones still, but they made me clean house and go on to a new regime, and now I don't have my friends, and we still suck. God damn it, everyone still hates me. <laughs> I mean, that's what he was muttering to himself while he was walking around the stadium, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, based on that, on, on that, on that, on that, uh, on that stance, uh, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, I mean how just, immature it, and tone deaf is yes, that statement, yes. though? Yes, because if you really were listening to the fans, the fans have been clamoring for change on, in the way you do things organizationally. They've been clamoring for that for years and years and years. Dude, 30 years since a playoff win. Yeah, I, 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 listen, here's the dealio. I don't work <laughs> in that organization, Rick. And, and in the last 30 years, I, 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 they have as many playoff wins running things as I do writing at a keyboard. Think about that. They're actually working at that for a living and can't come up with a playoff win. Why? Because you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I think I think that's very obvious. And I don't want to be like overly dramatic about the, the statement or the wording of it, because what can you really say that would do anything when you've been as bad as you have been for the last two years or the last three decades, however you want to look at it. But like in terms of a vote of confidence for Zach Taylor, I don't know if there's, there's much you could say that would really make anyone feel better. But to start it off in that manner yep. and essentially blame the fans or say like just even mentioning the fans in that way is so tone deaf and so stupid and so 
just why do people still buy tickets to that place and support? Uh, that I, th- I, th- I think they're going to be in for a rude awakening. If, if, if we're back to normal fan capacity in, in 2021 and we still may not be, um, I think they're going to be in for an extraordinarily rude awakening. Cause I think you've, you, you've lost a segment of season ticket holders because of, 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 again, it feels like it's going back to the nineties. I think you're also going to, I've said this before. I think you're also going to lose that segment of season ticket holders who always just renewed anyway, because it was the thing to do. And then came to realize this year sitting at home, wasn't so bad, you know, and until you really want to make organizational change and, and then maybe prove it to me by winning and having winning seasons, I'll come back then. But until then, I'm not spending my hard earned money on that. You, I, I can watch it at home. I can flip through, watch my red zone channel, uh, watch some other games. And now with gambling, I mean, honestly, gambling, I think is going to affect it a little bit too, because I, I can have a bet on a game in New York or LA or somewhere else. I don't have to have a rooting interest in the Bengals. I have a rooting interest in me. Now I'm rooting in me and my wager. Now me and my fantasy team. Now uh, I think they're in for a very rude awakening with this. Rick, how about this? Do you know in the 14 non-Marvin Lewis season since Mike Brown took over, since Paul Brown passed away in 1991, again, not a coincidence in my opinion, you know how many winning records the Bengals have in the 14 non-Marvin Lewis seasons in the last 30? I do not. Zero. Mm, it's not good. Not good. That's not good. Uh yeah, I just the the I think I think you're right on everything about the fans finding new new things to do and find. I mean, Red Zone's a hell of a package, man. I, that that is a really nice way to enjoy an NFL Sunday. So I will be interested to see how many fans come back after this, how people respond. The one thing that they do have in their their back pocket right now that I think they are very well aware of, based on the statement, is Joe Burrow. I mean, I think. Fans will be excited to see Joe Burrow again. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I, I think fans want to see wins, and and if Joe gets you some wins, then yeah, that's gonna that's gonna lead fans to probably trickling back. But I'm just talking about from an initial season ticket base for 2021. I think it's gonna be extraordinarily small, extraordinarily small. All right, switch gears one more time to the winning football team in Cincinnati. Last week's Peach Bowl between the University of Cincinnati Bearcats and the University of Georgia Bulldogs was the most watched of the non-college football playoff New Year's Six Bowls, according to ESPN, and its audience of 8.727 million made it the most viewed New New Year's Six Bowl game involving a group of five team of the college football playoff era. Bearcats, of course, lost 24-21 in heartbreaking fashion when Georgia nailed a field goal with three seconds left and then got a safety on the Bearcats' ensuing possession. Skinny, I asked you, did the Bearcats make a statement with their showing or did they need a win to do that? No, I think they made a statement with it. I mean, you know, kid makes bangs a 54-yard field goal and, and, you know, you see had some clock management issues at the end that, that cost them. But, um, I mean, if you had just watched it with sound down and not known – which team was the power five, which was the group of five. Um, you see actually like the, 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 the physically better team, to be honest with you, not at every position group. I mean, some of Georgia's wide receiver speed was glaring. They missed a couple of home run shots down the field where guys got wide open behind uh, UC corners. But f- from, from a front seven perspective, uh, uh, I, I thought, I thought you see more than held its own in, in, in that game and more than showed that it not only belonged, but it was just as good as if maybe not better than Georgia. Um, so yeah, I, I think they did make a statement and I think now it sets them up to going into next year. And again, you got to run the table to do it, but that would include a win over Notre Dame and a win over Indiana. You, you've, you've set the stage to say, listen, this team was toe for toe with, 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 with a power five team that was, um, you know, rated in the top 10 in the, in the, in the, uh, college football playoff rankings um so it was a quality team that uc played they they had them beat kind of let them off the hook a little bit 
and you run the table with wins over Notre Dame and Indiana, I think it's gonna be hard to keep them out next year. But you got to do that. It's that's a that's still a big ask. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing. You add in the game against Notre Dame next year, it changes everything a little bit. Say that I mean, if they didn't have, I mean, this is a hypothetical that isn't going to happen. But if they didn't have that Notre Dame game, they had a schedule very similar to this year's schedule that, that they were originally supposed to have. Maybe Nebraska in the non-conference right. would be their big game. Do you think that would like what they showed this year, followed up by another undefeated season? Do you think that would be enough to get them? In? I mean, they'd be in the conversation again, obviously. But do you really think they'd put them in that top four group? I mean, it's hard to say in a bubble without seeing everything else. But right, but I feel yes, like it's almost I, I, not hard to say though. At the same time, yeah, I feel like they, no, I, they I, wouldn't. Do I, it. Yeah, because I, it, the thing is, you know, you you couldn't probably beat Nebraska on a last second field goal, but if you handle them by a couple of touchdowns, um, I, I think that would, that would show something at least. Yeah. I, I think that, I think part of the reason the game was watched is there was some hype about UC and, and, you know, if you're across the country, you're like, I want to see this, 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 you know, group of five team that everybody seems to be taken up for. Are they really that good. And then, you know, you kind of got them on the hook and it was a, it was a good, it was a back and forth game to boot um, a close game to boot on top of it all. And especially, you know, then UC had to lead for a while. So yeah, I, I think they did put them. They they did put themselves in position now next year where um, uh, there's not a lot of excuses to keep a 12 and 0 UC out. There's just not. It it'd be tough. I mean, it'd be interesting to or see. technically a 13 and 0 because they'd win they win their uh, conference championship game. It's really hard to put put them. You know, put it in a vacuum when you're not seeing what else is happening around there. But I I honestly just don't know. I mean, I think if you've got an, a one loss SEC team sitting there, a one loss Big Ten team there. One lost Big Twelve, they proved this year that they're still gonna leave a UC, a, a BYU, a, a Boise State, a UCF. Any well, of I, I, I think they're I, gonna leave out. I would say this though: the ACC did not do itself any favors with the two teams in the conference, you know, semifinals. You would uh, think college football semifinals, um, getting their ass handed to them. And not only that. But the ACC didn't win a single bowl game, and that included four and six Kentucky beating eight, eight and three North Carolina State, and it should have been more than two points. They were up nine nine to ten for a good chunk of that game. Again, let that sink in for a second. The and ACC that includes their name this year too, right? No, no, yeah, exactly. No, they, they had two teams. The ACC had two teams in the college football playoff. Neither one of them, you know, I, Clemson looked like they belonged, but they got, they got their ass handed to them. So did so did Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame got that late backdoor cover. Thanks to so Brian Kelly BS. taking a timeout. Yeah, exactly. Absolute but, BS. I mean, Alabama owned them, dominated them. Uh, I think at this point, I think we've seen enough of these where you go, all right, you know what? Some of these group of fives um, or power fives, they just they, they just don't belong. The ACC really hurt itself. I, they're never getting two again, in my opinion. Uh, it just was There's a perfect no storm for them to get two this year. But man, when you don't win a single bowl game, they didn't win a single bowl game, bro. And again, I think Kentucky was better, and obviously the odds makers did too because they made them a two and a half point favorite. But that's four and six Kentucky against yeah. eight and three NC State, which also shows you then those teams playing SEC only schedules. Not something we didn't already know. That's just a damn good league, which then takes me back to Georgia. That's a damn good league in which Georgia got taken to the mat by you by UC. Right? No, I mean you UC proved something. I think the win would have been more meaningful. It would have been yeah. a little more like, look look at what you idiots did. I mean, you look so foolish now for one, not having, I mean, not having us in the playoff was one thing, but pushing us out to like ninth was just crazy. So correct, correct. Yeah, I, I think if you get that win over Georgia, you could really rub some people's noses in it. As it is, I think most SEC people are going to say, yeah, see, you still choked down the stretch. You're not real, whatever. 
um, against a Georgia team that wasn't, you know, wasn't typical caliber of an SEC team. But I, I you know, you you mentioned the um, the way you see held up in terms of physical competition against Georgia. The one thing that we did see late in the game, and really happened after James Hudson had the most boneheaded penalty you can have in a game that took himself out. They did get dominated a little by uh, Georgia's defensive line late in that game. And a lot of it, yeah. I think had to yeah. do with Mets coming in for Hudson. Oh, it was a disaster. Yeah. I mean, he had the false starts and he couldn't stay in front of his guy, but that, that was like kind of the one moment where I thought you saw Georgia's SEC-ness get to UC, if you will. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and they're good. You know, they got they got good dudes. So I mean, I, I wasn't expecting UC to go in and roll up forty something points on them. Um, I was expecting kind of the game you got, and UC having to win somewhere along the lines of twenty three twenty. And it's a complete different narrative. The kid doesn't make a fifty four yarder, um, and they didn't mismanage the clock. But I, I think they more than showed they belong. Yeah, we were all over that score. We just had it flip flopped. I had twenty four twenty one UC, and you had twenty three twenty or twenty three twenty one. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some, some almost dead on it. We both had UC outright winners in that game um, and the under. So we, I think yeah. we did okay there. Speaking of which, that brings us to our betting segment. Good where segue, you, Rick. You are just not going to believe this, by the way. Okay. I mean, you really aren't going to believe it. So I had a great week. I went eight, three, and one. We had a push. You were not at your best. You went five, six, and one. And I know you do not know what our records were going into that, but would you believe we're tied? That- <laughs> are dead tied 92 91 and four after all this wow which i believe is the same thing we did last year right i think we, we I think it was darn close we to tied that. or like we're one game off or something I yeah mean, i think i think it was, it was really close and it was amazing because i think it was me last year that made the comeback yes it was and by and by the way we do not pick like the same thing that often no it's not like we're sitting here just choosing the same bets all, uh, non-stop i mean we do a little bit but like i mean we had very different records three weeks ago four weeks ago. you know you know what this also shows rick this also shows that if we'd flipped a coin how many ever times that is 185 times we'd have had pretty much just the normal typical even heads and tails yes yes that's that's exactly right. but this is where this is where you want to end up like i mean Maybe two more games positive, you would have right. broken even. We're, right. we're giving a little juice back, but that's okay. I mean, you're about broke even. You you played a whole season of fun, and you didn't lose too much money. No, maybe if you took a couple of money lines along the way that, that we liked, um, maybe you actually came out a little bit ahead. Well, and speaking of which, I I asked people to put a couple units down on that uh, Ohio State-Cincinnati teaser, and they easily covered that. So they there you easily go. covered. You, you tailed me last week. You had a great week. It was profitable. So, all right, yep, let's uh, get into it. We've yep. got a bunch of NFL games and, of course, the college football championship and it starts on Saturday at 1 p.m. We've got Colts at Bills. Bills are a six and a half point favorite, and the total is 51. You know, I, I think the Colts are a nice team, and 11 and 5 proves that. But man, Buffalo, I, I'm not so sure that they're not the team that beats Kansas City in in this in the in the AFC. They just week to week, they just seem like they're getting better and better and better and better. Um, the six and a half seems like an odd number. It feels like you're trying to get reeled in on the bills because that seven, as we all know, is one of the magical numbers. But I, I got to go ahead and lay the points here. I, I I love I love Buffalo. I just think they're playing really well. Um, I'll go I'll go Bills thirty one, Colts twenty one. So the Bills and the over for me. Yeah, we're we're pretty close on this one. Uh, I love that line. I'm really surprised to see it only at six and a half. And I'm kind of mad that you just dropped that little. Uh, 
Bills might beat KC nugget because I was kind of holding that one back there as my hot take for a week or two from now. I really like this Bills team. I think they're really good. So I'm going 35-24 Bills and the over. That brings us to Saturday, 440. We've got Rams at Seahawks. Seahawks are a three-point favorite. The total is 42 in the hook. Well, Seattle really started to struggle down the stretch offensively. Um, a lot of this depends on Jared Goff, right? Um, I think without Jared Goff, the Rams have no chance in Hades of winning. With Jared Goff, it's still, in my opinion, slim. I still like Seattle. They, they've got enough proven guys in, in playoff time, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll among them. Um, they know what the playoffs are all about, how to re-gear themselves, all those things. Um, had a big come-from-behind win in the, in the season finale. So I'm, I'm going to go – I'll go Seattle – Seattle 20, I'm going to do it with golf and without golf. Without golf, I'm going to go Seattle 27-10. With golf, I'll go Seattle 27-17. So with golf, it's the over. Without golf, it's the under. Either way, it's Seattle. All right. So we'll we'll say without golf was 27-10, and that would be the under. So Yep. And with golf, I'm just going with the over. Yeah, with golf, I'm going with the over. For now. Um, I'm with you on the Seahawks because of the uncertainty with golf, because even if he plays, he just had surgery on his hand. Right. I mean, yes. Yeah. That would seem to not be an ideal situation, even if he is in there and his backup is just garbage. I don't even know the dude's name. I mean, I've and watched Seattle him, did, but I don't and Seattle him. did win their last four in a row. I mean, they, they, they didn't, they weren't as dynamic offensively as they were earlier in the year, especially over the last three, but they did win their last four games in a row. Well, they did, but that offensive line is garbage. And that's the reason the offense slowed down a lot. And Aaron Donald is going to destroy them. I mean, yeah, but Russell's so good at getting away from that kind of stuff. He is, but he, but he struggled down the stretch because of the pressure that he was facing nonstop, which he's very good at avoiding. And again, I think the Seahawks win this game either way, but I think it could be low scoring and pretty ugly here. I'm going Seahawks 24 Ram 17. So I'm going Seahawks in the under as well. Uh, Saturday, 815. We've got bucks at football team. Bucks are an eight point favorite. The total is 45. Bucks are playing really well, man. If, if, if you gave me $100 and said you got to put it on one NFC team to make the Super Bowl, I think I'm going to roll the dice on, on them, even though they're the five seed. They're going to have to go on the road um, here, probably have to go, well, then go on the road to, to Lambeau um, and maybe even go on the road then for the championship game. That's a lot to ask. But you also have a quarterback that's kind of done this kind of thing before. He's kind of won a lot of big games. Uh, I do think football team plays well because just because that front four is, is so good, I think they they keep them in the game at home. But I I just think Tom's too good. I mean, Antonio Brown now is finally synced up with 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 him, and that just adds another weapon to the mix. I thought it was a bad thing when they signed him, and it certainly looked like it was going to implode in their face early on because um, it felt like they were trying to force feed him, and 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 it kind of screwed up their offense. But man, down the stretch they just got right. Um, but I think football team gets enough pressure on Brady to make it uncomfortable. I'm going to go Bucks 27, football team 20. So football team covers and it's over. Tom Brady versus Alex Smith is all you really need to say for this one. I just, that's, that's what it comes down to for me. It's the, the Bucks have been playing pretty well. And Tom Brady is Tom Brady. And Alex Smith is a really, really fun, great story for the 2020 season, but it's 2021 now and it's the playoffs and, He's he's just not that good, really. So I'm going Bucks 31, football team 17, Bucks in the over. All right, now I'm just going to give you a quick stat here, Rick. Since since early in the season, when football team had had got awful Dwayne Haskins quarterbacking, and they lost uh, they lost five games in a row to go to one and five. In fact, they're one of three teams in NFL history to lose five straight games in a season and make the playoffs. And the 1970 Bengals actually one of the other 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 two teams that did that. 
since that point in time, Rick, they have they 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 went from one in five. They went six and six and four the rest of the way, and of their four losses, three points, three points, five points, seven points. And you're giving me eight and a half at home. I got to take it. Fair enough. I it's we've got we've got it at eight, but either way, um, that's fine. I'm. I'm going with the Bucks. I don't know what to tell I, you. I, mean, I, I, I just... know. Th- I know. Th- I know this. I would feel better with the Bucks. I, I'm, I, I'm. You know, just because I know they can score points, and I just yeah, don't know if, if football. Th- I just. It just feels like that number is just dangling there, um, asking to be plucked, and I, I got to do it. I, I think there's a reason they're doing that. I think it's Tom Brady in the playoffs, and I just. I think he covers by multiple scores. So. All right. Before you move to Sunday, I'm going to give a three team Saturday teaser. Then I'm going to give a four team Sunday, Monday teaser. So oh, give hell me- yeah. All right. So let's do the three team Saturday teaser for you. I'm going to take Buffalo. It's going to be a six and a half pointer. I'm going to take Buffalo down to a pick them. I'm going to take the, the Seahawks up to three and I am going to take in the teaser Tampa down. I don't think Tampa loses that game. It just feels like a weird cover for me for, for football team. And I'll take Tampa down. So that's my three team Saturday teaser. So, uh, Tampa would be one and a half minus one and a yep, half there. Minus one and a half. Yep. All right. So you got Buffalo and a pick them Seahawks uh, getting three and bucks by one and a half. Yep. So that's there we your go. Three team on Saturday. We move to Sunday, one Oh five PM. We've got Ravens at Titans. The Ravens are a three and a half point favorite. The total is 54 in the hook. I'm going to regret this. I'm going to take the Titans to, to cover, but I'm going to take the Ravens to win. That's on that magical number. Um, man, the, the the Ravens are just playing lights out. And look, I, I know it, it, that sounds easy to say since I just saw them in person humiliate the Bengals, but it, it it's not just that game. It's the way they played, you know, in games leading up to that. They won their last five, and here's what they scored in those five. 34, 47, 40, 27, 38. And quite frankly, I think you can agree with this. The 38 could have been 50-something if they left Lamar in, in their whole offense in instead of just snapping it back to the Huntley kid, let him run around right in for two yards, and then two yards, and then two yards, and then punt. Indeed. Um, the, their offense has just been dynamic. Now, the flip side is Lamar's never won a playoff game. So there is that factor. Um, and right or wrong, that hangs over him, and there's probably a little added pressure for that. Um, but man, he's playing at such a high level right now. So is Tennessee. I mean, offensively, they're 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 really good. Tannehill is a perfect complement for Henry, and Henry's doing what Henry does at the end of the year. Where he piles up 200 yard games, and we watched him carry this team to the AFC Championship game last year, and he could probably do it again. But I think in this one, they fall just a hair short. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Baltimore 30, Tennessee 27. So Baltimore wins outright by the field goal. I win with Tennessee in the hook because I'm taking Tennessee in the over uh, in that game. All right, we're close in score, but it's a, a different pick here. I like Ravens 34, Titans 28. We're looking at two bad defenses right here. I mean, well, on one I don't side, think, but I think Baltimore's. I think Baltimore still got enough pieces on defense to slow them down some, uh, but especially their, their in the num- passing game. Their numbers suggest otherwise. I, I would say I, I know the Titans' lack of pass rush and weak defensive front overall worries me against Lamar more so than the Ravens against Derrick Henry. Yes, yes. But both are a problem. And I like the over in this game. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. The Titans, the fact that they run the ball a lot sometimes worries you with the over just because you're afraid they might shorten the game on you all of a sudden if they get off track scoring. But yeah, I I still think for Lamar and the Ravens, it's kind of like a revenge tour. I know a lot of people are looking at as he can't win the playoff game. I think it's too early to get to that point yet. I think it's more like... uh, we missed our chance when we were pretty damn good last year, and now we're back and and we're ready. So I'm I'm going with that theory, and I, I like the Ravens here. Do you know the the only quarterback in the Super Bowl era to lose his first three playoff starts in three uh, straight years? No, who would that be? It'd be Andy Dalton. 
No, great. That's that, that's where Lamar's flirting with. That's that's great. That's good company. Yep. Sunday, 440 pairs at Saints. Saints are a 10-point favorite. The total is 47 in the hook. Got no reason for even giving you this score, but here's here I am anyway. I'm going to go Saints 31-24. Bears get that awful, ugly backdoor cover where you're just, you know the Saints are better. They dominate almost all day long, but um, give up a cheapy late. Um, so I'm going to go Saints in the over in that game. I'm just going to be Bears in the over. Bears in the over. Yeah, I'm on the opposite. I'm going Saints 28, Bears 14. So I'm on the Saints and the under here. The Saints defense against the Bears love child at quarterback of Trebols or Fobisky or whatever you want to call it could get ugly. Uh, I this, The Saints were one of the best at turning turning opponents over in the NFL this year. So I could see that being a, a major slop fest for, for the Bears. Sunday, 8-15, Browns at Steelers. Steelers are a six-point favorite. Total is 47 and the hook. Dude, the Steelers weren't even playing to win, basically, last week. And they still almost beat the Browns. Now it matters. The Browns got the COVID issues with the coaching staff and some players. Um, And and listen, the Steelers' playoff experience comes into play here for me, too. Um, I I think Ben gets it done in this game. I think the Browns' visit to the playoffs is a quick one. I think I don't. I don't want to say the Steelers dominate because they haven't dominated anybody down the stretch. But I do think that kind of got a little new life, got a chance to rest some key guys this past week, which I think is going to be huge for Pittsburgh. They, I, I said this weeks ago, that schedule, the way it got bunched up for them, I think messed messed them up badly uh, for a period of time. So they needed this past week to kind of rest some key guys, including Ben. So I'm going to go Steelers 27, Browns 17. So it's the Steelers and the under for me. Yeah, we're really close on this one. I'm going Steelers 24, Brown 17. So I'm on Steelers and the under as well. I'm just, there's too much uncertainty with the Browns this yep, week. Yep. Their, their coach might be out. Their starting left guard might be out. And the Steelers D versus Baker was already going to be a problem. So uh, I'm with you. I want the Browns to win this one from a, from a fan's perspective. But realistically, they're still a freaking Browns, man. Yeah. Like, right. What are we doing here? Monday, 8 p.m., Ohio State at Alabama in the national championship bowl game. Seven and a half point favorites are the tide. 75 in the hook is the total. Total's insane. The total it's is crazy. Ridic- insane. But honestly, like, I'm not betting that under. Um, not with these two offenses. Yeah. But sometimes I think when you have two good offenses, they're, they're a lot. That's. Sometimes that, that that has you end up having long drives, right? Like 10 play 70 yard drives. And yes, they do end up scoring off of those drives, but um, it does take some clock. I, I think it's gonna be a high scoring game, but I, I I'm, I'm all over Alabama. I think this is just one of those generational teams. They're, they're that good. I'm going to go Alabama 41, Ohio state 24. So Alabama and the under for me. Bama and the under for you. I'm going to surprise you here. I love the way. Ohio State's offensive line played against Clemson. I love the game Ryan Day called. I'm concerned about Justin Fields' health, obviously, because I think a big part of that game plan was the fact that they actually used him to keep it on the backside of some of those option plays, the read option stuff. They never do that. He hasn't been a runner at all throughout his career, really, in that way. Um, Some of that stuff they did, I felt like it was – kind of unlocking their full playbook and the, the game plan with using the tight ends more, everything about it. I thought like they, they peaked at the very right time. I think they're playing their best football. The big concern is fields being injured. If he, if he's at full capacity or anywhere close, I'm taking him all day over Mac Jones. 
I'm going Ohio State uh, outright. I'm Buckeyes wow. 41, Bama wow. 38, OSU in the over. I think they shocked the world. Wow, I think that would be a shock to the world for me. I just think this Alabama team is just superb. I think in that Notre Dame game, once they got the lead, they weren't going to show another thing. And if you had Jalen Waddle back to the mix, holy Toledo, good luck with that secondary cover and all that, all that stuff. All right, so here's my teaser. It's going to be, I'm actually going to do two four teamers because I, I got involved that under somehow. So I got, here's my four teamers. And I'm splitting the Bears Saints game. I'm going to take the Titans up to, this is a six and a half point. I'm going to take the Titans up to 10. I'm going to take the Bears up to 16 and a half. I'm going to take the Steelers down to a pick them and I'm taking Alabama down to one. And then I'm going to take the Titans up to 10. I'm going to take the Saints down to three and a half. I'm going to take the Steelers again at a pick them and I'm going to take that under up to 82 and a half or 83. I, <laughs> that's both teams get in the 40s. I just, man, that's, that seems impossible for me in the championship game. I, those two offenses, I'm not touching. I'm not touching an under. I don't care. You're if probably you right. I have to I'm do it just because it sounds it. so, I'm doing it just because it sounds so absurd. I, I, I get it. And you're right. It's a national championship game, but both of these offenses can really score. And I don't know that either defense is great. I mean, both defense are good, but I don't know that either one is great. Um, and they seem to kind of like giving up the big plays and just chasing each chasing points the whole day. So I'm I can't wait to see this game. I think it's gonna be fun. I wouldn't be surprised if 80% of the money is on Bama going into this. I think they oh, are I think going you're to be right. a massive, massive favorite. Yeah, Rick, did it what did it open? Did it open at eight, if I'm not mistaken? So it hasn't budged a ton. No, yeah, I think it so I, I think, think it was money, right at eight. Yeah. So so obviously some money's coming on Ohio State because it's gone down to seven and a hook. I think it goes off at eight or eight, eight or eight and a half. I think money pours back in on Alabama, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think it'll be the overwhelming majority. I mean, Ohio State's always going to get money because Ohio State has such a huge fan base. That's just going to and, and blindly. I, I will say from a teaser perspective, I bet you there's a lot of teasers, more way more teasers tied up in Alabama, basically just to win the game than, than to take Ohio State up to two touchdowns because there is the concept of Alabama just beating the daylights out of them because of that. I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. Um, so the books, I think if, they, if if you get an outright Ohio State win in this game, I think the books will probably have a have a have a smiling day. I th- I think that's right. Uh, okay, so for my teaser here. I'm going to go with the Bills down to a half-point favorite, so six-point teaser. Bills down to a half-point, Saints down to four, and Bucks down to two. Those are my okay. three. So that's, that's Bills, Bucks, and Saints in a six-point teaser. That's what I like. All right, let's get to it. Ask Skinny anything. We'll blow through these because we've been rolling for a while already. Skinny, your team is down two. Ten seconds left. Do you win? Or do you go for overtime and who gets the ball? Lenny Brown, Wayne Turner, or Steve Logan? Ah, that's a great one. Um, I'm going Steve Logan just because I, I I know Wayne Turner obviously you know, was was a can't terrific. Shoot. You can't shoot a lick. Yeah. Steve Logan's the, the, the most accomplished scorer player of those three, in my opinion. So Steve Logan's getting the ball and I'm just taking the first best shot. I mean, if it's a downhill layup, I'm taking it for the tie. If it's coming off a high ball screen, you got an open look at a three let her fly. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a set strategy in that regard. I don't think any coach really does. I mean, maybe on an underneath out of bounds, you're looking to get a three to win it or something like that. But um, especially if it's a major, major upset you're trying to pull, but no, I, I'm taking the first best shot available and it's going to be with Steve Logan with the ball in his hands. Are you a foul uh, when up three guy? No, not at all. No. Not especially not at my level, just because yeah, not. yeah, there's just too much weird stuff that can happen on bad box outs, for goodness sakes. I agree with that. All right. Who does <laughs> this is from our guy Jeremy? He says, Who does Skinny not need to interview after a Bengals loss? Can you tell that story? <laughs> um, that would be that would be Drew Sample. And and to truth be told, I was 
So, so Sunday after the game, um, you know, they gave us a handful of players and they're doing their best. I wanted to preface that the Bengals media relations people are trying to do their best because we're not, they're trying to grab guys out of the locker room and you can imagine occasionally a key guy I'm sure has told them, no, I'm not going to talk. I've talked before. And then that's well within their, their prerogative. So they're just trying to grab the nicest guys that'll come out and do it. Right. So they trot through a few guys and we had a little bit of a pause in the action. And of course, I always, I guess I'm kind of the ringleader a lot of times with stuff. So I kind of stood up to the press box. I go, and they said, Drew Sample will be next, but it'll be a couple minutes. I said, does anybody need Drew Sample? I said, at this point, the only people I need are number 18 and M period Brown, and we ain't getting either one of them. <laughs> so everybody kind of looked at me, goes, no, no. I said, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll text one of the media relations. I'll text them and tell them. They go, I said, just pop on the, the Zoom and just tell them we don't need them. So I thought, okay. So that's exactly what I did. I just popped on the Zoom and I simply said, hey, man, I, we, nobody needs Drew Sample. <laughs> and so about that time, I think all lap then pops in and says, Hey man, I got three hours of radio to fill tomorrow. I need every guy I can get. I said, fair enough. And at that point, I guess drew was in the room and drew must've heard that ex- exchange. And he was very nice. I'll give him a lot of credit. He was, he was as pleasant as he could be. And he answered the questions, but I mean, dude, really after 38 to three and the offense, not doing anything, did anybody need to hear from drew sample? Come on. No. No, okay. the answer is no. Thank By the way, ninety-five percent of what's said in post games, yes, like, press conferences is nothing. Like, and that's why that's why worthless. honestly that, that that's why the zooms are 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 difficult to some degree because it's a lot of times it's guys you just you, you really didn't need. I mean, you know that that's the, the the beauty of building a relationship and going to a locker is, um, you know, and occasionally you get the swarm that'll follow, but occasionally that's part of what it is. You kind of wait people out sometimes too to go talk to your guy or two at at that at, at their locker that are going to a are consequential to talk to and b are going to say something of consequence. Again, I'm not blaming the Bengals media relations staff. I want that to be clear. They're doing the best job they can absolutely do, and I appreciate them for that. And they they worked hard to get us players each day. They had media availability. But a lot of times it was a lot of eye rolling stuff because it's just it was the same nice guys saying the same nice things time and time again. Um, with the, I mean, I I hated doing the NFL beat honestly. Like it was so fun when I first got the opportunity to do it, and I quickly found out that I hated it just because uh, there's so many people writing the same stories. I feel right. like, and they're all just going off the same quotes. I mean, there's a lot of different entities covering the NFL, and there's just not a lot of unique material out there you know no, i mean like right. it's like jay glazer and adam schefter get all the the big breaks and then everyone else is just kind of uh you and know that's where it's changed it, it used everything. to be b- back when i covered the nfl starting in the 90s and i've covered it off and on i haven't been covering it straight for 30 years doing that but i've covered it off and on but i was on the beat back in the the 90s uh, at the post and that's when you know there were contract holdouts and that and that's when you actually had a relationship with those agents and you would literally you'd spend some of your time back in the days of two days in between the two day practices making phone calls to agents anymore agents won't return your call if you're not one of the three or four national guys so at that point you just give up on it let them break the stories and you then report that that you know da 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 reportedly said and you're done with it it's 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 almost become a silly game to be quite frank yeah yeah and that was just no fun at all to me now on the flip side i will say even worse than a like NFL post game press conferences or locker room situation, which actually, like you said, the locker room is a little bit better. You can go around to your guys, you can build a relationship with them, what have you. College basketball post game press conferences are the worst. I mean, there is nothing interesting ever said in it's all cliches, it's all coach speak. Even the players are just relaying what the coaches told them in the locker room to say. And the worst part of the questions because no one who covers college basketball knows what the hell they're watching for the most part, at least not the ones that are in the postgame press conferences. And my least favorite question is the one where guy tries to tell you his take on what happened. 
And it's really just a statement that he wants your opinion on. Like, oh, I thought so-and-so really did such and such and this and that and the other thing and da-da-da-da. It's like, yeah, that's not a question, and none of us need to know what you think happened in the game. Just ask the freaking question. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Anyway, side. that was a little side tangent. Our girl LP, Lindsay Patterson, checking in. Uh, appreciate her doing that. Favorite Will Ferrell movie, and who would play Skinny in a movie? Yeah, man, who would play me in a movie, Rick? That's that's a good one. I don't I don't I don't even know. Danny DeVito. That's not fair. I got better, <laughs> I got better hair than Dan, I got better hair than Danny DeVito's got. You, you got way better hair, but I just was more thinking like uh, personality that came to mind. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, I appreciate personality. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, favorite Will Ferrell movie? Uh, um, I guess I'm par- partial to Ron Burgundy just because. I mean, there's so many good ones, but yeah, I'm 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 partial to to to, to that. Call me, that ba- role. call me basic, but I'm an elf guy. Are you really? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm not a big Christmas movie guy, but that is me usually neither. a staple. No, that's usually a staple in our house, believe it or not. Um, yeah, to, to watch I'll elf watch. Usually, usually on Christmas day, for goodness sakes. It's probably, it's one of the few that I'll watch. So I'm, I'm kind of with you there, but no, it, it, it would have to be, uh, it would have to be Anchorman and, and Ron Burgundy. It's just All such right. a, it's such an outlandishly silly character. That's just beautiful to me. Do you have any actual thoughts about who who would play you in a movie? I've never I've never given it a thought. No, I'm, I I can't I can't, I can't even fathom that. See, I can. I could easily see a movie. I could easily see you being portrayed in a movie. I don't know that the, a movie needs to be made about you, but I can yeah, see no, like you being mean, a character within a movie for sure. Like I, if they're making I, 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 a, I, I, a I movie just, about the Bengals locker room, you would definitely be the first news character that they pulled in. How about if I just play myself? Yeah, well, that, that's that's the hard part. It's it's hard to find a bigger character than you. So yeah, yeah. So I'll just I'll just play myself. Yeah, I'm fine. You with know, that. You, people do that on occasion. Yeah, exactly. Especially you see it all the time. I mean, if it's a sports related movie, right? They pull out some local yokel guy. Um, you know, or, or Dick Enberg's been in movies. Uh, 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 in in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Stu Nahan, who was an announcer in in L.A. and a and a anchor in L.A., he was in the movie. Um, in fact, they played himself, Stu. Uh, so yeah, I, I I'll play myself. How about that? Our guy, uh, Bob Herzog, was in Point Blank recently, not too long ago. That's right. Ago. You're right. Yeah, so he was in a movie. Um, all right. Uh, during sk- <laughs> Multiple people referenced your illustrious careers, but they were talking about two different careers in the next two questions, so I, I enjoyed these back-to-back. Okay. During Skinny's illustrious coaching career, has he ever thought about or come close to having a Bobby Knight, Neil Reed moment, deserved or undeserved? No, um, I, I, I completely stay away from from that. The only the only one I did, and I feel bad about this, it was when I was coaching girls basketball, and I had broken my finger, and I had a giant metal splint on the finger that I broke. And you know, for guys, you can slap a guy on the rump for doing something right. It just doesn't work with girls. You coach girls, so what I would do occasionally if they did something well, and this was in a practice setting, I would tap them on the head like, "Hey, nice job." Oh. Well, I hit, I banged her right on the head, um, and I mean, she went down for the count, and I didn't even think about it, at, you know, at the time. And it was because she actually had done something well. I can't remember what it was. It was like, "Hey, nice job, bang!" I went, "Oh no." So yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm. I can get in your face. I can scream. I can, I can do some, some things to try to, you know, intimidate a little bit, but no, I've never got, gotten close to that. <laughs> try to intimidate. I love it. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's something you want to stay away from. Typically. That's not a good situation. What was the highlight of skinny's illustrious beer drinking softball career? Um, I, it just, it still has to be my, 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 my man in left field when I was yes. playing left center with the can of corn, and all of a sudden, it was his his ball. I didn't even think about it. And all of a sudden, at the last thing, he yells, 
get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. And I had to run over to left field and catch it. And again, it was just a typical routine fly ball. And I turn around, I go, did you lose that? He goes, no, man, I just crapped my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I love that every time. I don't it know. Is, it's, it's still the, it's still the best. <laughs> that one, that one in the, the other one I still love to this day is uh, we were playing up at softball <laughs> city and um, I was playing right center that day. The other guy in the left center was a good player. The guy in right was not so good. And a couple of just complete cans of corn. He just didn't catch. I mean, it just easy fly balls. So about the third time it happened, I pulled the Kelly leak and went over to Cause I'm like, I'm not letting another ball drop in. And I, I guess I was visibly frustrated. I felt bad for him. Cause honestly, he was the type that you would put it catcher or AH just cause. Um, but it was one of those days when we actually, I think had to scrounge to get 10 and the 10th was a guy that, that he was the one that had to catch. So I had to put this cat somewhere. So I thought I can cover for him in right field. Little did I know I was gonna have to cover for him on routine fly balls. So, um, as we're coming off the field, I guess I, I must've been busy because I think I just, I slammed the ball on the, on the ground and let it roll in towards the pitcher. Yeah, no, I'm shocked that you would show your frustration. Correct. Yeah. And the guy in left center came running over. He puts his arm around me. He goes, buddy we'd be better off with a shopping cart out there because at least one would fall in it. <laughs> That's still one of my favorites. Yeah. No, he's not wrong. I've been in that situation before where there, you just, you got that guy out there with you and there's nothing you can do to help him. I nope. mean, you're literally worried about his own health. Other than, yeah, and you don't want to pull the Kelly leak on the guy, right? You don't want to, you don't want to go over and, and catch a routine fly ball. That's, no, that's hit no, completely his ball. But yeah. at some point I'm like, I ain't letting another one fall in. Cause I'm tired of being out here. <laughs> I love that. All right. Uh, the, we'll wrap it up with this. Someone wants to know, let's hear the stories of the first time you guys got drunk. What were you drinking? Where were you at? What were you doing? What became of it, et cetera? Mine was, uh, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> this is going to be terrible. <laughs> it's a different time and place. It was my sophomore year of high school. I went down to the state tournament with some friends. We bought some 40s. Believe it or not, we had we had nice. a couple cases of 40s. So you're 14, I remember, or 15, 15, 15 going on. Yeah, 15 because I graduated okay. high school at 17. So yeah, 15, 15. I would turn 16, I guess that summer. Um, so yes, 15 years old at the state tournament. I ended up making a bunch of money off that state tournament by letting people uh, crash on my hotel room floor and charging them 10 bucks a pop to do so. Smart. So that was a profitable trip for me. So anyway, um, I remember I got one of those little Dixie cups and it's kind of like right out of Happy Days. That's where Richie Cunningham drank 72 little Dixie cups of, of beer to get himself drunk for the first time. That's kind of what I did. I had a little Dixie cup and I kept pouring it in there, drinking it, pouring in there and drinking it, pouring in there and drinking it. Next thing I know, I'd probably down to a couple of forties. We're going to the games and uh, it kind of was a blur from there. Did you get sick? No, didn't get sick. It just, uh, I, I remember it was the first time, you know, the, the old story of bed spins. It was the first time I ever had bed spins though. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't remember like the first time I actually drank a little bit. I was older. Um, I didn't drink like much in high school at all. There was a couple of times, you know, buddies and I would try it, but it wasn't like, I don't think I ever got drunk, drunk, you know, maybe a slight buzz, but I do remember in college the first time that I was like in bad shape. And uh, I, what happened was I didn't know anything about alcohol. And so there were a bunch of people playing rock band in the front of the room. I was like, that's not my scene. So I went to the back and um, a buddy of mine was just like pouring shots. Like we're going shot for shot, but I'm thinking that's just a little bit of alcohol. So it's like, Mm, you know, it's not like drinking a whole beer. That's in my mind. What I'm thinking as an experienced drinker. So, you know, 10 or 12 shots later of, uh, that could have ended well. Yeah, it was, uh, well, so, so here's the, the good part of it. I was wearing a white polo that day and I went, we went back to this girl's apartment that I was dating and, Stayed there. And the next day I get up 
and I, it wasn't a great night for me, obviously. And I, I look at my shirt and I'm like, how is there a grass stain on my shoulder? Like on my shoulder blade, almost there's a grass stain on this shirt. Was I laying down outside? My buddy goes, no, you roll blocked the hill. I go, wow, I did what? And he goes, come out here. I'll show you. So there was like a hill going up, leading up to her apartment. He goes, you tried to walk up here instead of the steps. And he goes, you went face first. And it looked like you were just roll blocking the hill, man. Wow. And that's how the my right shoulder blade ended up with a grass stain on it. And I was like, that well, is now, now, you know, yep. Now I know what that's all about. Probably need to get that in check. I'll give you one other one from high school. We were spending the night at a friend's house in Lakeside Park and he lived right near a lake. And we were all a little bit in the sauce. And uh, next thing I know, I hear a patchoum in the lake, like you know, somebody fell in. So I assumed somebody had fallen in. So I go running out. Dude, I'm within a second of jumping in to try to rescue my friend. Except you know what they did? Because the jackasses hit him. So the, there's like three like, no, he fell in. He, somebody's got to save him. Uh, we can't swim. Yeah, they threw a rock in, a giant boulder in. And I almost yeah. went in after it. Yeah, that's that's a great move by your friends. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't jump in. Though. I did not. They, I, I, I kind of caught myself at the last second. Wow. Way to come too. that's good. Yep. Save on your part. Yeah, it was a good save bad, on my part. Bad deal. Yeah, correct. Correct. All right, Rick. Great stuff. As always, we thank you guys for the questions. We will be back next week. Uh, of course, this Sunday, we're going to start our college basketball podcast with our buddy Chad Brendel. That'll be each Sunday. That'll drop uh, between Sunday and Monday. We'll be back uh, either next Wednesday or Thursday with another weekly potpourri podcast. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, weekly potpourri edition.